Welcome to the New England Football Show, presented by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by my partner, Kevin Stone. Adam Kirchin is on assignment, and tonight we are joined by old friend Andy Backstrom, who is now the Ohio State beat writer for On3 Sports. Andy, how are you this evening? Thanks for having me on, guys. It's good to be back. Well, it is good to have you back on, my friend. Uh, it, it's been too long, and, and we're looking forward to talking about a variety of topics with you. But before we do that, I do want to remind our listeners and our viewers that if you are looking into selling your current home and you're a first-time home buyer and want to get pre-approved for a mortgage, give Herb Divine a call, 781-254-2846. You can also email Herb at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends. We are now in March. The real estate spring season is officially here. If you're looking for a loan officer, with over 25 years experience that can guide you through the process while well, Herb Devine's your guy. Give him a call today. Again, that number is 781-254-2846. Or you can email Herb at situate.mortgageright.com. Do it today. All right, Andy, thanks for taking the time. You're fresh off the combine in Indianapolis. So let's start there. Some thoughts on that. What was that weekend like for you? It was an awesome week. And even just seeing the guys throwing – on Saturday was really cool. You hear a lot about some of these guys, but if you don't see them in game coverage, some of them are just huge freakish athletes. Like seeing Anthony Richardson, there's a lot of hype right now around him. This is probably his Super Bowl just because he gets to show off his vertical, his broad jump, and that arm. Just a big human. And even, you know, like I've had the, the pleasure of covering C.J. Stroud the back half of the 2022 season and through the postseason just a great guy. Bryce Young, also another good person. Uh, to follow all the quarterbacks was cool. But even some of the offensive linemen and all the position drills were, were really interesting to watch. And seeing some of the smaller names um, is always nice, too, because they don't get a whole lot of coverage until they get to this point. And you can kind of see the spectacle in their eyes as they watch these swarms of media going to their podium and asking questions. And it's just a really cool sight. It's a big day for a lot of the guys, and you just have to root them on in a way. Andy, you mentioned the you know the swarm of media, and if you watch a lot of the interviews, you can't move in those you know those settings. There's you know 15, 20 deep. How do you think some of those guys kind of reacted to that? And and in particular, I know we're going to talk you know a lot of Boston College down the road here, but in particular, you know what did you see from Zay? I know you know we both covered him, and he was all three of us have covered him, I should say, and he's always a pleasure to deal with. Never really you know seemed to. Seem to worry about the bright lights, but just in that particular setting, how do you think certain guys fared, and um, how do you think Zay fared as well? Yeah, I mean, it pops out to me is like Cody Mouch. He's an offensive lineman for North Dakota State. I mean, that's a FCS school, obviously one of the best FCS schools, but you're not getting nearly the same coverage as you are when you reach the NFL. And so, you know, great guy. He's obviously famous for not having his front teeth. The big classic football guy. I'm sure he'll have a nice NFL career for himself. But even just seeing him respond to that kind of attention, he was great. Uh, a lot of these guys are, are pretty down to earth and welcoming of the kind of coverage that they, they truly deserve. As for Zay, you know, it was really interesting. Um, I appreciated this moment. It was pretty wholesome. He was coming out for the interview and he could see all the people, but I had kind of positioned myself so that I could see him right as he came out. And he we kind of locked eyes and he gave me the head nod um, and, you know, just had a big smile on his face. And, I just, you know, he probably appreciated seeing a familiar face in that kind of setting. Um, it was great to talk to him afterwards. I think he handled it really well. You know, he's a confident guy. 
he's never going to shy away from saying that he's the best there is. And, you know, he was asked what defensive backs gave you trouble at the college level. And his response, as we would expect, was no one really gave me trouble. Um, that's kind of the way he's been. You know, it's this he's not the most humble guy, but then again, he doesn't need to be. You know, he's not braggadocious. He's just confident in his ability. And that's kind of what he conveyed at the combine. And he performed really well. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of people that thought that he would run the 40 better. He did himself during the week of the East West Shrine game say that he thought he could probably run somewhere in the low four threes. He didn't quite do that. But how would you assess his overall performance? 40 aside, he still ran a really good 40. Don't get me wrong. He's still going to be a first round pick. But how would you assess his overall performance uh, on Saturday? Yeah, I thought his 40 was was honestly fine, partly because he put on that weight. You know, he's, he went up 13 pounds to 183, which compared to someone like Jordan Addison, who we talked a lot about those two in tandem uh, because they were both in the ACC at one point when Jordan Addison was at Pitt. Addison checked in, I think, around 173 pounds. So from what I was hearing, people were much more pleased to see Zay's weigh in. And even his height, I mean, he, he was around 5'9", something, which – was even taller than some people thought. Now covering him, I, I knew that he was going to be at that height, but some people thought he was going to be like a five eight, maybe like five seven guy. When he look, when you see him on tape, he maybe looks a little bit smaller. But I think his weigh in was really important. And then when you factor that into his forty, I think it's a little bit more understandable why he was in the four fours. I'd be interested to see him run that forty, having not put on the thirteen pounds. I think he probably would have been closer to the four threes. But I think for your NFL scouts, it's better to see more weight. I think they're more interested to see if you're going to hold up in that body for a full season aside from the testing drills i thought he looked really fluid in his route running again no surprise he's he's really good at starting and stopping we saw that at his time at bc it was really funny to see he seemed to have quite a connection with stetson bennett like as i was watching all the drills they did a lot of throwing and catching together even before they actually started uh, he actually had a 50 yard pass zay did to stetson and Stetson like looked incredibly surprised that they could throw that far. So it's kind of cool to just watch those interactions you don't really see on the screen. And obviously two guys, SEC, ACC, that would never really match up otherwise. I'm glad you brought up, you know, kind of those those random connections that happen because I'm curious, you know, having been there all week, can you kind of tell certain guys are maybe leaning towards certain teams just based on relationships that are built? Um, or maybe I should say our team's, kind of maybe leading towards certain guys. Um, and then just amongst the players, how often can you kind of see that, um, I guess that random connection kind of developing or is just, you know, kind of here and there and um, you just happen to pick one or two up, you know, here and there when you're there. Yeah. For the teams, it's really, really hard because everyone interviews with everyone pretty much. I mean, a lot of times in these interviews and the scrums, people will be asking, have you met with the Jaguars? You met with the Patriots? And then it's, was it informal or formal? And a lot of times that information has a shelf life of about 10 minutes because then there's another interview where there's something that comes out that, you know, they're meeting with another team. And, you know, most famously probably Jalen Hurts, you know, didn't even think he was going to be drafted by the Eagles when he got the call. He saw the PA area code. He thought it was from the Steelers. I mean, these guys meet with a lot of teams, and sometimes they don't think they're going to be drafted by a team and end up getting the call from that team. So it's hard to tell who's really pushing on who. Um, you know, guys, I mean, Zay was asked probably 
five to 10 different teams in his interview who he met with and who he didn't. Um, you know, one that came up though was Kansas city and I've seen him thrown around there for, for the mocks. And obviously he talked about playing with Patrick Mahomes and how that would be great at experience with a quarterback like that. Um, Tampa Bay was another team that was brought up. So I think with all of these guys, it's hard to tell where they're going to go exactly. Uh, as for the player connections, yeah, that's really cool to see. I think it's – you see the ones that have played against each other. You know, it was funny to see, again, like Stetson and Max Duggan in the same group throwing together after facing off in the national championship. Not that it was extremely competitive, but they were both on the field um, that night. And some of these receivers too. I mean, these are guys that – you know, they've played seven on sevens against each other. They played, you know, for the quarterbacks of the Elite 11 competition. Some of them were together for that. And so you do really see some of that prior history come about. And they're all trying to kind of help each other. Yeah, they're competing for spots, but these are guys that know each other since high school. Some of them played against each other in college. So it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, I do want to come back to Zay real quick. Uh, you know, I, I've felt for the past year that he was going to be a first-round pick, and I still think he is. I think he's going to knock it out of the park on the 24th in his pro day. Uh, I'm assuming you will agree with us that you probably think he's a first-round pick as well. Assuming you do, where do you see him going in the first round? Yeah, I, I feel like he's going to fall somewhere between 20 to 32. I mean, it, it really depends on when this run on wide receiver starts. It always feels like in the draft, you have your wide receiver one. Okay, it'll go off somewhat early. This year's class isn't as strong relatively. So let's say the wide receiver one, I don't know, goes somewhere around the top 15, maybe a little bit earlier than that. Then it depends on where wide receiver two goes. And I think then you'll see the run of wideouts. So I'm not sure exactly where it's all going to fall. People believe after the combine, like Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State did himself pretty well in the combine, having not played most of this season. So he could be wide receiver one. And then after that, I don't know who's going to go next, whether it's, you know, Quentin Johnson from TCU or maybe it's, you know, you have to really see Addison potentially, but I don't think people loved how he tested Zay's obviously in, in the competition there. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting. I, I would say 20 to 32 is, is my pick uh, towards the back end of that first round. Yeah, and, and I think for me, when you look at the position, it's not as strong as it has typically been in recent years. And and again, I hate to say it, and I hate to to put it in these terms, if you will, but because we're living in this era of the spread now, receivers are being developed at an unprecedented rate and and every draft class is going to have receivers you're going every draft class is going to be strong enough where you're going to see anywhere from four to eight depending on the year go in the first round and I don't think eight is an exaggeration if it's a really good group I still think you're going to have four or five go in the first round in this draft though I, I think Zay goes I think Jalen Hyde out of Tennessee I think you've got Quentin Johnson out of TCU Smith and Jigba who you were around, but you didn't get to cover. As you mentioned, he had a terrific weekend. He really helped himself. I think with him, there's going to be some teams that I think are going to probably knock him down on their board because of the fact that he opted out of the national championship, uh, out, of the, uh, out of the college football playoff. But I still think you're going to have four or five receivers that are going to go in the first round just because that's still a premium position. And, you know, you mentioned a guy like Jordan Addison. He put up big numbers at Pitt, big numbers last year at USC. Yes, he's slight, and that is a concern. 
But again, he's still a first-round talent. Where I am with you, and this is where I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with Zay, I think there's going to be a run on receivers probably from 12 to 20, and, and, and maybe even later than that, 12 to 25. And I think within those 13 picks is where I see at least four of those guys going. I, I, I think Smithing Jigba is, is an interesting case study, though, because when I was watching the draft coverage the other day, I think there's a lot of people that don't know how to categorize him. I think a lot of people see him as a slot, but he's a lot bigger than people think at six feet, 198 pounds. Could he be someone or any of these receivers for that matter? Could they be a possibility for the Patriots at 14? Could you see the Patriots taking a receiver and could you see them taking one of these guys? I think they should, uh, but as is often the case, they ignore the skill players early in the draft. So I'm not quite sure which direction Belichick will go. And if they do, I, I do think Jackson would be a great pick for them. Um, he, he certainly is more than a slot receiver. He was in the slot for a lot of time at Ohio State because he was playing alongside Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. So a lot of times it's by circumstance of who's around you. In that offense, you have two guys who put up over 1,000 yards as rookies in the NFL this past season. And Garrett Wilson was the AP Offensive Rookie of the Year in the league. So, yeah, it makes sense why he was in the slot for most of that 2021 season. But he also spent time outside. He has the frame to do that. He's really creative with his route running. You know, he might not have the short or the long distance speed, rather, that maybe people are looking for, but his short distance speed is incredible. I mean, that's why he led in the three cone and in the 20-yard shuttle in the combine. So if you're looking for a guy that can create separation both before and after the catch, he's a guy that can do that, especially because he over-exaggerates routes. I mean, a lot of people, he, he says that he really likes to look at Devontae Adams on uh, the way he does that. Same thing with Stephon Diggs. So I think if you're looking for a great route runner and a guy that can rack up a lot of yak, I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigga is your guy, and he's faster than maybe his 40 time will let on. It's funny. I'm, I'm still holding out hope that the Patriots are, are taking Zay at 14, but um, just to kind of stick with him a little bit too, I'm curious, you know, you covered um, Ohio State towards the back end of the year, but obviously Ryan Day and Coach Halfley have a really good relationship. I'm just curious if you ever kind of had a chance to talk to today or, you know, what the national perspective is um, at the college level on Zay, because obviously, you know, we were up close and personal with him, but um, what is the kind of the outside of New England view on Zay um, in the college world? Yeah, didn't have the chance to ask Ryan about Zay in particular, uh, although Ryan still clearly has an affinity for Boston College, and, and that's quite clear. And even Gunnar Daniel, I don't know if you guys saw this, but former long snapper for BC has now joined the staff at Ohio State as assistant special teams coach. So um, that's pretty cool, and I'm sure that has a lot to do with him being a BC in connection with Halfley. But anyway, yeah, for, for Zay, the, the perspective I, I've kind of learned here is that people think that, you know, he's a great wide receiver. I think there's still the same concerns about size that we don't have having covered him. Um, he was even asked in his press conference at the Combine about his size and, and being in the slot. And Zay knows the stat. He was like, I was on the outside for 75% of my snaps. You know, like he – He's very quick and ready with it to, to show that he's not just a slot guy. And we know that he can go down the field, make catches at the point. Um, he can really do anything that, that they asked him to do at Boston College. So, yeah, I would say 
that is probably my biggest takeaway is that people don't quite understand. Like they, they look at his size and they make assumptions about what he can and can't do. But, have, you know, we know what Zay can do on the field, and that's pretty much limitless. You are watching slash listening to the New England Football Show presented by Mortgage Right. I am your host, John Serenitas. Joining me this week is my partner, Kevin Stone. Adam Kirchin is on assignment. And joining us this weekend is old friend Andy Backstrom, Ohio State beat writer for On3 Sports. Just a reminder, if you're looking into selling your current home or you're a first-time home buyer and you want to get pre-approved for a mortgage, give Herb Devine a call, 781-254-2846. You can also email Herb at situate.mortgageright.com. You need to see more available anytime, including nights and weekends. Reach out to them today. Andy, I want to talk about some of the other Ohio State prospects because, like most years, is always a handful of high-end Ohio State players that are going to go early in any NFL draft. And this year is no different. you got Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones, the two offensive linemen that could go in the first round. Of course, we mentioned Jackson Smith and Jigba, the wide receiver. C.J. Stroud, the quarterback, who I think is the best quarterback in this draft class. There's plenty of Ohio State talent that's going to go in the first couple of rounds. Obviously, the Patriots are not going to take Stroud. And even if they were interested in him, they'd have to trade up because he'll be long gone by 14. So getting him out of the equation, we already talked about Smith and Jigba. They do have a needed offensive tackle. Is there a possibility that Paris Johnson and Jones could be there? Jones, I think we all agree, could be there. Paris Johnson is an elite-level talent who had a terrific career at Ohio State. Is there a possibility he's there at 14, in your opinion? And could you see the Patriots taking him, given the need that they have there? If he's still around, they absolutely should take him. I just I think he'll probably land in the top 10. It's really between him and Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern of who's going to go first at that tackle spot. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if both of them go in the top 10 just for the need of tackle for teams around the league. Um, if he got to 14, they should absolutely take him. Dewan Jones is probably a reach at 14. I don't think you'd want to settle there. Um, he's a great player, and I think he will go in the first round just because of his sheer size. I mean, he's six foot eight, 375 pounds. I mean, that's a, a big man. That's really, really very quick comparable to Stone in terms of measurement. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, you know, he's, he's really great because you can't attack him with, you obviously can't just bull rush a guy like that. And even with speed, he's much quicker than you would expect. So, really, you have to get him at the redirect. Like, he's not great at redirecting. So, that's, that's really the way to get past him. Um, but, I mean, we saw the senior bowl. Basically, the few days that he was practicing, guys were trying to go at him with pure physicality, and, and that's just not going to work on a guy like that. So I do think that he would probably be a reach at 14, but if you really fall in love with him, why not take a guy like that? You know, I think people obsess a little bit with value. Um, if he's going to be a first-rounder and you have that pick in the first round, then then take him. Depends on your grade on him. Depends what you like and you don't like. So. He's probably going to be available there. I don't think Paris Johnson will be. No, I agree. And the thing with Dewan Jones is, especially after last year when the Patriots took Cole Strange, I, I, I'm not sure. Not that they care. Belichick doesn't care what, what the media or, or the general public thinks of what he does in the draft. He never has, as we well know. But I don't think taking Jones at 14 is a smart move. Unless, of course, it's Broderick Jones, and that's different. 
<laughs> now he had a good weekend. He he measured taller than people thought. The arm length is there. The athleticism is there. If if he's sitting there, I think Patriot fans could live with that pick. But Dewan Jones, not so much. I, I'm with you. I don't think you could take him at 14. I think if they traded back, certainly he's a guy that you could potentially take in the 24 to, to 32 range. Yeah, I think Broderick Jones would be a great pick for them. Um, having talked to him leading up to the Peach Bowl, really impressive guy. And certainly, um, you know, that in that matchup, he was impressive to me as well. Um, I, I just think that if you're looking at the top three tackles, to me, it's really close between Peter Skronsky, Paris Johnson, and Broderick Jones. I don't think there's a drop-off between two and three. I think all three of those guys could make a case for being the top tackle in the class. And when we look back on it, I wouldn't be surprised if one of those three was higher than we think they are now. I think they're just close together in the bunch. So if the Patriots were able to get a hold of one of those three guys, I think they should consider it a win in that first round. Yeah, and Skaronsky, I think, probably kicks inside and plays guard. Go ahead, Stone. No, actually, I want to go back to the Knoxville Championship um, and really just the college football playoff in general. We were lucky enough to cover it, and I'm just kind of, kind of wondering what, you know, obviously working at BC is a lot different than and covering Ohio State, um, just the difference between Big Ten football and, and ACC football, but really more on a daily basis, you know, being around the program, how much different is it really? And um, just kind of what is that atmosphere like for those of us that, again, don't really see big-time football right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest difference is just the amount of coverage. You know, you go from covering BC where we had a great group, and I, I miss that group, including you guys, where it's probably at maximum 10 reporters going to a practice and sometimes three of us, you know? Um, and I think there's a lot of special stories that come from that because it's just a few people that are really giving the coverage the team deserves. Um, at Ohio State, there is always probably us reporters at any given practice. Games, you're upwards of 50 even the road games. And it's funny because you'll travel to these big 10 schools and their road locker room kind of like designated spot for the media is never big enough for the Ohio state media. It's just this huge conglomerate. And that's probably been the biggest difference to me is just seeing the sheer volume of coverage, different independent sites, obviously the big networks, the local TV stations, the amount of cameras you see, um, you know, I think I think that's the difference you get. Part of it's Columbus is not a huge pro sports town. They've got, you know, an MLS team here and an NHL team here that isn't very good. Um, it's not like Boston where you've got the Boston Celtics, Patriots, the Red Sox, you know, the Bruins, and they command a lot of the attention. So I think those are some differences that I notice. The Big Ten versus ACC, you know, I think there's a lot of pride that goes around with conferences. I love the ACC. I'll always love it just because – you know, that's where, where BC is at. And I think there's a lot of good rivalries and high-scoring games. The Big Ten is known for its defense. But I think just with any conference, you always have to ask yourself, well, how good are they really? They're just beating up on each other. Like, how good are these defenses? Or is it really just the offenses aren't very good? You know, like, you look at a team like Iowa, and that's probably one of the most pedestrian offenses I've ever seen. <laughs> so, like, it's you got to question about the competition level when, when you try to rank these conferences. I think we get in a little bit too much of the weeds of, which conference is better than the other. But uh, there certainly is the pride that the Big Ten is, you know, second to the SEC. And, you know, you ask people here, they'll say it's better. So, 
You know, I was thinking, Andy, obviously you talk about the differences between Boston College and Ohio State and, and covering the two programs. I guess we could use that as a pivot point to talk some Boston College football here. It's been a pretty tumultuous offseason at the Heights. Obviously, last season did not go as many of us thought it would. The Eagles finished 3-9. and nine. There were staff changes last offseason. There were even more staff changes this offseason. Just some general thoughts on this offseason for the Eagles. And, and what do you think the direction of the program is now? Because all of a sudden, you know, here's a guy in Jeff Halfley who's done a terrific job recruiting. His staff has done a terrific job recruiting. He's 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 been a bright star, if you will. But I think last year diminished some of the, that star. What, what do you think of where the program is right now as, as they head into spring ball? It's a make-or-break year, and I feel like we've been saying that for a couple of years now. But I feel like this is just absolutely – got to win this year. I mean, you can only point to progress in recruiting for so long and building a program. Um, yeah, I think maybe Kevin tweeted this today, like – you got two seasons, you make a bowl, but you don't play in one, and then you got a three and nine season. It's kind of an odd way to start. And in between there, by the way, you got a pandemic, you know, so it's just a really odd start and kind of an unfortunate start to Jeff Halfley's head coaching career because I think he's got a lot of potential as a head coach. He's clearly charismatic. He knows how to recruit. He definitely knows how to retain players. I think that was my most impressive takeaway from this offseason. I thought they would have significantly more transfers given the way last season went. And I think they did a pretty good job overall of keeping guys in the program. They lost a few, but overall, it could have been way worse in that regard, given today's climate of NIL and the transfer portal. I think those are the things that really stick out to me with him as a head coach, being able to get guys to buy in, even when things are seemingly going the worst way possible. They beat NC State last year when any team could have just thrown in the towel and decided that the season was over, and they finally get the monkey off their back with their first-ranked win since 2014. I think that tells you a lot about a coach, because if you didn't want to play for him, you're not winning that game on the road. I don't care that NC State didn't have its quarterback, and at that point was pretty injury-riddled themselves. It's still an important win for the program, and I think that showed me a lot about the buy-in the guys have. Yeah, and just to your point, look, they had 17 commits stay through the offseason. You know, kids aren't staying if they don't believe in in Halfley's message. But um, I, I want to get to the quarterback and Evan Moorhead. Um, I'm all in on him, more so not just for the on-field stuff, but the way he carries himself off the field. Um, I just think he screams leader every time he talks. Um, he says the right things. And now, look, obviously it doesn't matter until results are on the field, but just your thoughts on Moorhead and – um, I personally think he's going to be better for this team than Phil was. I'm not saying he's better than Phil. He might be. But I do think just as a leader and really um, in the big picture, I think he's going to be better for this program. Do you agree? Yeah, he's got a calm demeanor. You know, when you talk to him, he's just really insightful. I mean, maybe it was him being the backup quarterback and, and just, you know, really enjoying the opportunity to talk to the media. But every time we got to talk to him, before he was the starter, um, he just gave us a lot of good information about scheme. You know, maybe maybe said a little bit too much at times. I don't know if the SITs, you know, and Brendan uh, and Jason maybe at the time loved that. But I felt like he gave us some really good insight about that BC offense. And just, yeah, calm demeanor. California kid played his high school ball at Episcopal Academy in Virginia. Um, 
you know, he's got that flowing hair and definitely has that persona of a guy that can stay calm and cool in the huddle. And I think, you know, like, as you said, Kevin, I think he's a good leader for this program. He seemed to always buy into the process of having to sit and wait his turn. He probably got his turn way quicker than expected playing as a true freshman in the carrier dome, that weird game where they split snaps between him and Dennis Grossell. And so now he ends up as the starter as a redshirt sophomore and really having a lot ahead of him in a career and honestly a pretty forgiving schedule that BC has coming up and an opportunity for him to win over the fan base as, as the quarterback and in many ways the face of this program and an opportunity to win over his teammates' trust. And I think he's already kind of done that too with the way he handled last season and a lot of the adversity that came his way. Yeah, and and, and I think he's – it's interesting because – having been around him last year during fall camp and, and talking to him when we interviewed him, he, he's a different, he's a different dude. I, I kind of felt like being around Phil last year, that Phil was pressing a little bit. I think he, you know, the expect, I don't want to say that the expectations were getting to him, but I think that you can tell he just had a different attitude than when he first got to campus. He was, he was a different kid. He was younger, of course, but I really, really think that the, the last two years had taken their toll on him a little bit. Uh, and then he's dealing with the injuries and trying to bounce back and, and of course, failing to meet the expectations that people had for the program last year. I think ultimately it, it took its toll on him a little bit. I think that Moorhead's more calm, as you guys said. I think his demeanor's a little different. I think he's chill. I don't think he's going to let things get to him necessarily. And I think that that's going to help him out uh, big time, especially in this market. Because as you said, Andy, you're not going to have the 50 people you might get at an Ohio State game but you're still going to have a decent amount of media coverage here where there's still going to be some scrutiny after every game. Moorhead, I think, is 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 equipped to handle that well. I want to talk about the staff changes because, as I mentioned earlier, there were a bunch of them last, last offseason. Obviously, the coordinator changed. Signetti leaves and goes to Pitt. John McNulty comes in. Dave DeGugliamo comes in. That didn't work. There's changes again this offseason. Now, you have Rob Chudzinski, who is the associate head coach and overseer of the offense. Steve Shimko, who Stone uh, predicted a few weeks back, could be the next offensive coordinator. He's going to be the offensive coordinator, and he's going to coach the quarterbacks. And then, of course, on the defensive side of the ball, Tim Luca believes he goes to the Carolina Panthers to be the outside linebackers coach. So now that they're splitting coaching responsibilities there between Coach As and and uh, Coach Duggan. Just some thoughts on the staff changes. And, and again, when you talk about coming off a three and nine season and people hoping that the program turns things around, it's not good when you're in this predicament to have these kinds of staff changes. Your thoughts on the changes and what it means to the program. I didn't think they had much of a choice when you, we've gone the outside higher route, especially last season, you bring in John McNulty and, Aside from getting Zay Flowers all the records in the world and a first-round draft slot, not a whole lot went well for that offense. So I think when you were looking at that, there had to be a change. And when you bring an offensive coordinator in or you even promote a guy, you're probably going to have you know other changes to go along with it. So that made sense to me. And at this point, you don't want to pair Emmett Moorhead with his third offensive coordinator in three years. So if you keep Steve Shimko there, who's already working with him, I think that's your best bet, really, because you don't want another offseason where you're basically restarting and going back to the drawing board, coming up with a new scheme. I, I feel like they'll probably rely on a lot of what worked well in the past two offenses and, and kind of 
stitch chat together. I mean, Chud's been there the whole time as this kind of assistant special advisor to Jeff Halfley as the head coach. And he obviously has a lot of experience in the NFL level and in knowing what works and that BC offense has always kind of had this pro element to it. Um, I think what works best for Emmett is getting the ball out quick and he's significantly better at doing that than, than Phil was. And I think a lot of the RPO stuff worked well down the stretch for BC. And I wouldn't be surprised if they stick with that kind of offense, um, you know, a little bit more of the spread as well, maybe, but I think uh, for the offensive side of things, I think they just really didn't have much of a choice. I think if you're if you're Jeff Halfley, you got to stick with the guys that you trust and kind of just run it back and, and see if the, the you know the people that you've kind of developed within your own staff can give you a shot to win. Andy, you know we've sat through a lot of long nights at, at alumni, and um, that's personally why I like these decisions. Just because, look, if you're going to promote you might as well give guys that have been with you and, and suffered along with you the opportunity to, to turn things around. So um, I love all of these moves. And, yeah, John, you're completely right. Look, three and nine, you don't want to have all these changes. But, again, going in-house, I do think kind of minimizes, you know, the overall um, change of the program. But one one guy that's coming back that might change everything is Christian Mahogany. Um, they, they really just – they couldn't survive without him last year. Your thoughts on him, and then you'll also appreciate this. I saw Vinny De Palma at practice the other day and couldn't believe it. Um, I couldn't believe he's still back again. That veteran presence is still there for this team. Um, yes, they've lost some, but there are a lot of veterans back. Just your thoughts on Mahogany and just the overall kind of presence that's still around the program. Yeah, you're happy for Christian. And that he can really have a good final year at BC and and land in that first round category, maybe second round in the NFL draft, because that's where he was being mocked way, way before the season and way before his ACL tear towards the end of that spring in May after spring ball. Hope that he can get back to that and kind of usher in the tradition that they had been building again as O-line U. You know, it felt like they had all those guys and they were amped up to be a great O-line headlined by Zion. And they just never really maybe perform to the ability we expected them to. And obviously last season had just a streak of injuries. It almost felt unprecedented. I mean, I certainly haven't been around anything like that before. Pretty much every week you get the update from Pete Thamel that someone else was injured and they weren't going to be playing that week for Boston College. So I think it's important for Christian, not only on an individual level, but for the program to kind of be seen again as this offensive line factory I think they can't get away from that they need to have someone be the face of that and certainly if Christian Mahogany has a good year inside at guard um, and gets selected in the first couple rounds of the draft I think that'll go a long way for the program and and maybe for Matt Applebaum who a lot of people kind of discounted because they thought well he kind of inherited this talent and it wasn't as good as we expected it to be I think he's got to have to make a big statement this year with putting together a line that performs well significantly better than what we saw last year and if people do that I think fans will probably trust what he can do a lot more I think people were a little bit disappointed with that hire because they felt like he didn't do much and obviously when you spend one year in the NFL you don't get brought back by that organization there's questions so I think he's got a big opportunity in front of him to make a statement as far as the veterans in general you mentioned Vinny De Palma another guy I saw that's back is Elijah Jones 
Um, that's another stalwart for that defense that I think is underrated. You know, I think he's a pretty good defensive back. Teams threw at him a ton last year, a ton, a ton. And he did a pretty good job. You know, he definitely had his moments where he had his busts here and there. But I felt like as a DB, um, he kind of lived up to the task. If you look at the target numbers, it was com- completely disproportionate. I feel like there were certain games where he really played well. Yeah, it's interesting with Applebaum because we didn't really get the full story as to what happened in Miami. Um, I, I was surprised when the announcement came through a couple of weeks ago that he was coming back. I At the time, we didn't know that he wasn't going to be returning to Miami. But you'd have to think that his first two years here, the offensive line was pretty good. Of course, it helps having Alec Lindstrom, Zion Johnson. But you'd have to think that there's some familiarity there. So he knows – the guys he's going to be coaching with, he knows the kids, he recruited some of those kids. It should be a pretty easy transition for him. It should be. I wonder what they'll do with scheme, like if they'll keep it the way it was. Like there's obviously a heavy emphasis on the zone scheme with Matt Applebaum, and people were a little bit up in arms about that when he came in because, I mean, for a long time, BC was a man-to-man blocking scheme without O-line and it seemed to be working quite well. Part of that was the running backs they had that were bruisers and A.J. Dillon and David Bailey even had quite a good time there. And before that, it was Andre Williams and John Hilleman and guys like that. And it just felt like a deviation from what was working, both with the offensive line position and the running back position. And I feel like we just haven't seen the level of production outside of that 1,000-yard season by Pat Garwell from either of those position groups. So I wonder what they do with scheme, if they try to mix in both man-to-man and zone. I don't know what's going to work best for that personnel, but it kind of felt like that change wasn't worth it long run. Like it it felt like it never fully clicked with that system. So I'm curious to see what they do on a more specific level scheme wise. Yeah. I mean, coach Affley and Moorhead both must've said, we're going to run the ball more 15 times the other day each. So um, it is going to be a point of emphasis. I mean, the three of us have talked about it for two years now, but um, Coach Halfley also said he's going to be more involved in the defense. Um, he's going to leave the offense to Chud and, and to Shimko. Just your thoughts on that. I think it's probably – it's funny because he's also said in the past, you know, I need to kind of be more of a head coach. Well, now he's going back to his old defensive ways. Do you think that ultimately will wind up working out? I'm actually really excited about that. I really want to see it because, you know, at certain points – We've seen it done. I mean, guys, it depends on who it is in terms of time management and how they direct their resources. I think it can be done. We've seen offensive coordinators do play call and and they're good head coaches as well. I think he needs to really put his imprint on one part of this team. And if it can't really be the offense, like last year, he was like, I'll be more involved in the offense. And then it felt like midseason, he was like, well, there's only so much I can do. Like, I know the defense side of the ball. I want to trust my assistants. Well, he really can have a mark to, to really make on this defense. And I think he's got to do that because it's year four and he needs to win. And I think he's got to be that co-defensive coordinator with Azar. And I think he trusts Azar. That's why he's been promoted. And that's why he talks up his coaching and not just his recruiting. And there's a reason why he's still there. And I think that's exciting opportunity for him, but I am really curious to see if we see anything differently schematically, because it feels like this BC defense Kind of what I've heard from other people around the ACC is like, you know, they play really sharp, but they don't do a whole lot schematically. You know, maybe a little bit less than you would have expected from him coming over from Ohio State. Although, granted, they didn't 
do anything too crazy there either. That was just a lot of great athletes and good execution. Like I wonder if he gets a little bit more creative scheme wise, because I, I feel like you kind of have to, to a certain extent when you don't have some of the speed, like I know he wants to have that speed catch up, but we're in year four now. And I don't know if it fully has with, with the top of the ACC and maybe it will this year, but I'm really curious to see what he does. Cause I, I think that's what I'm going to be watching closest. Yeah, and you know when you look at it now, they they started spring ball on Friday and then they they paused. They they come back on the 14th, but when you look at what they need to accomplish this spring, what are three things in your opinion? In your opinion, I should say, Andy, that you want to see them accomplish this spring because this is a big spring for them. We keep talking about how important this season is going to be for him. Three and nine is obviously unacceptable. I think the honeymoon is clearly over. People aren't going to keep using the, the pandemic or the fact that they got the two bowls but didn't get to play in them. Now it's, hey, you got to prove to us you can be the guy. We need to see it. This is a big spring for them. What are three things you think they need to focus on this spring to try to get this the ship righted going into fall camp? Yeah, um, I would say, one, just getting your installs in quickly. Like if it feels like the last couple of off seasons, especially last year, you know, all the talk was how quickly are they going to get the handle on the offense and you know, you spend part of spring just learning the off. I feel like if you can hit the ball or hit the ground running, that is, you're better off, especially with a quarterback in Emmett Moorhead who already has some experience. Um, I wonder, again, how different this offense is going to look. So if you can get those installs in as quickly as possible and actually start working on your third down, your red zone, and things like that, I think they'll be better off. Um, from a personnel standpoint, I think the offensive line, like I'd, I'd like to see that five set pretty quickly I think that you know last spring was a lot of changing around and it felt like they did have their five and then you know at times guys went down with injuries and we even saw the start of that back then and you know I think they need to have their five settle pretty quickly I know they like the depth that they have now um, the depth that came from making guys play even on the defensive side of the ball I'm not sure where Jackson Ness is at right now but um, that's the name that comes to mind that having to start a guy at center that was playing, you know, defense, but I think getting a five set for that offensive line is key in the early weeks of spring ball third, maybe underrated storyline, but I think it lost them a lot of games or at least set them back. Special teams was absolutely atrocious last year. Um, Connor Lytton loved the guy, but just certainly had a bad year too. Can he bounce back in that position? Um, I don't think they have Danny Longman anymore. I think he was on his like eighth year at that point. So, uh, you know, you got to find a new kickoff specialist, but even just kickoff coverage was really bad last year. Think about the FSU game. They lost it basically on the first kick. Um, there were other games. Maine had a long kickoff return. I just feel like special teams was an underrated aspect. A lot went wrong last year, but special teams was one that went really, really awry and was pretty good the first couple of years in the Halfley era. So they need to get that step. Um, you know, get get back to doing that well. And then, uh, yeah, I guess a fourth, just as we're all watching, is maybe the wide receiver position. Like, I don't know who emerges to replace Zay. Like, I guess it's O'Keefe, uh, Ryan O'Keefe, that comes over from U UCF. And I guess there's familiarity there with Daryl Wyatt. And no one can replace Zay, although he will be wearing number four. And he's got a lot of speed. I don't know if he's quite the route runner that Zay is. I think he's got maybe the lateral speed that, that you'd like to see as a downfield threat. 
I don't know what that's going to look like paired with Joe Griffin. I, I really don't know what the story is with, with Jaden Williams. That's something that was talked a lot about, and I don't know if we're going to get the full story on that, but if you guys can dig that up, um, best of luck with that. I, I don't know exactly what went wrong towards the end of last season. There, there was a lot of things said, but if he can actually get involved again with that offense, I think that's a pretty, pretty good trio of, of wide receivers. I'm just not sure how that blend goes, and certainly you want to help out Evan Moorhead in any way you can. Yeah, Andy, trust me. It's one of the first things I asked the other day. I don't think we're going to get anything, but um, yeah. last one for me, it's an easy one too. Um, having now covered a Michigan-Ohio State game um, and covering BC Clemson, uh, what's the better atmosphere? And um, just how has it been so far covering you know the Buckeyes? I know John would probably appreciate it as well. Yeah. You know, I will say it's certainly Michigan-Ohio State has the edge. I mean, just the number of eyeballs on that game and just the festivities that go along with it, you know, the certain awards that the teams give out afterwards for wins, like Michigan won for the second year in a row, and they gave out their equivalent of, like, the gold pants kind of necklaces. And and it's, you know, one of those things where there's just so much tradition here with, with that rivalry. And even in Columbus, they block out all of the M's. So every M on every street sign is blocked out and people don't use the letter for the entire week. So there's just a lot of history here with that. And it's really cool. But Clemson, BC is always special, maybe more so for BC, uh, certainly more so for BC than Clemson. But I think everyone at that campus is loves to see that rivalry. And it's a little bit unfortunate that we won't see it every year, given the ACC schedule change. But you know, being in Death Valley and being in Chestnut Hill for those games, there's a lot of fond memories that I'll always have. And, you know, I, I think uh, they'll get them at one point. <laughs> I think that it'll become maybe more of a rivalry at some point. But, um, they got to win one to make it a rivalry. They always say that it's not a rivalry until the other team wins. And it's been quite a long time for BC, but I think they'll get one eventually. Uh, but, yeah, covering Ohio State's been a pleasure, and I'm excited to get the ball rolling with spring ball and, and obviously watch your guys' coverage. From afar of BC, I'll be keeping tabs and the questions your guys are asking and, and seeing what kind of season BC can put together. Well, Andy, it's it's been great catching up with you, my friend. We worked together closely for the last couple of years, and uh, I think I, I speak for Kevin in saying that it's it, the coverage isn't the same without you. It's it's certainly not the same with you not being there and seeing you there. You you were a fixture there the last few years. Obviously, you're an alumnus. Um, so we're going to miss working with you, but you know what? The beauty of technology is we can do this anytime we're all available. So, um, we're definitely going to have you back on again before the start of the season. Good luck with Ohio state spring ball. They kick off tomorrow. I'll be watching closely as a, uh, long, lifelong Buckeyes fan. And I'm following you to get all my Buckeyes Intel. So, uh, but I want to say thanks for taking the time, man. We really appreciate it. And it's good to see you again. Thank yeah, you, man. Really appreciate it. All right. That is Andy Backstrom, Ohio State beat writer for On3 Sports. That'll do it for this week's episode of the New England Football Show. For Kevin Stone, Andy Backstrom, I'm John Serenitas. Until next Monday, peace. See you.